Good morning. I'm Robert Trent Vinson, your worship associate today. And it is my pleasure to welcome you to the Williamsburg Unitarian Universalist online worship service. Our greeters today are Mary and Roger Guernsey. Our other worship leaders today are our guest pianist, Paulette Amory. Our minister, of course, Reverend Laura Horton Ludwig. And our director of, of religious education, Austin Peterson. If you're on Zoom, at this time, you might want to change the speaker view so that you'll have a better view of whoever is speaking and our AV technicians will be muting and unmuting you as needed. If you'd like to follow along with the order of service, I invite you to visit wuu.org to download a copy. You'll find the link right next to the Zoom and YouTube links. Now, if you're visiting today, we invite you to share your name in the chat if you like, and anything you'd like us to know about you. We're so glad that you're here. And if you're not yet on our email list and would like to join to keep up with all the opportunities to connect, to serve, and to grow, please fill out our online visitor form at wuu.org, right underneath the link to download the order of service. Now, today we have a fun opportunity for the pet parents among us, and there are many, I know, I'm one of them. The Animal Blessing Service will be coming up in August, and we would love to include a photo of your pet or pets. Some of us have many. Please send photos to John Trindle, and I'll read his email slowly. It's john.trindle at gmail.com. It's john.trindle at gmail.com. If you can send your photos to John with Animal Blessing Service in the subject line by August 9th, that will give him time to include your photo in the video. And the video will be shown at the service on August 16th. So please send those photos to John Trindle, john.trindle at gmail.com with Animal Blessing Service in the subject line by August 9th. That to so that it can be included for the video that will be shown on August 16th. Now we continue with a song by the white British composers Leslie Grassus and Anthony Moon Newley. Thank you, Paulette. Take it away. Come with me. And you'll be in a world of your imagination. Take a look and you'll see into your imagination. We'll begin with a spell traveling in the world of my creation. We'll see, we'll define explanation. If you want a new paradise, send me the ground and Anything you want to do with it, want to change the world, there's nothing to it. Nothing to it. 
There is no life unknown to compare with your imagination. I Thank you so much, Paula. Again, welcome. We are happy that you have joined us via live stream audio or video or Zoom. Whether you have come, you have come seeking comfort, encouragement, or inspiration, or all three, you belong here. You are seen here. Even if you are joining by phone and we cannot see you physically, you are seen here and you belong here. If you are a visitor, we offer you a special welcome and a warm thank you for joining us online today. Now I invite you to join in saying our welcoming words. Please, as you say these words, speak them to each other and know that we are connected across the distance. We may be physically apart, but we are spiritually connected. The words are pasted into the Zoom chat and let's say them in unison. Folks on Zoom, we will unmute you so that we can hear each other. We'll pause for a moment while everyone's unmuted and then we'll start. Come, come, where you are, wherever you are. Oh, thank you all. I love that so much. Today's call to worship comes from the Reverend Dr. Tim Haley, a white retired UU minister. Amid all the noise in our lives, we take this moment to sit in silence, to give thanks for another day, to give thanks for all those in our lives who have brought us warmth and love, to give thanks for the gift of life. We know we are on our pilgrimage here, but a brief moment in time. Let us open ourselves here now to the process of becoming more whole, of living more fully, of giving and forgiving more freely, of understanding more completely the meaning of our lives here on this earth. Come, let us worship together. You muted, Art. Now I'm muted. Okay. All right. Now, please join me in saying the words to light our chalice as we highlight Dave Wilcox today. If you have a chalice or candle handy nearby, please go ahead and light it now. Again, we'll unmute you and say the words in unison. Peace the chalice. Life is chalice. Life is chalice for the warm warmth, warmth of love, for the light of truth, energy of action, for the harmony of peace. Harmony of peace in our heart, in our community, in our in our world. All right, we pulled it up. Just beautiful. Thank. you. There we go. Okay. So kids, and actually, hey, you adults too. <laughs> We've been going through some stuff, huh? We have mm. this pandemic stuff happening and, and I wanna talk to you about it. I wanna talk to you about all the feelings that you might be having. Maybe you're confused, maybe you're feeling angry, maybe you're feeling sad, depressed, um, Maybe you're feeling a whole bunch of stuff all at once so fast that it's hard to even keep track. And I wanna say this, 
that's so normal. I really want to really affirm that, you know, maybe you are feeling like the people that you feel stuck at home with, maybe you're kind of tired of looking at their faces. Also normal. It's a very, um, it's a very human thing to want to go out into the world and see other human beings. Maybe to want to go for a walk and, and just look at a stranger and just notice what the energy of a park might be like to see how people are dressed, to look at other faces that you have never met before. If that's what you're feeling, totally normal. If you're feeling scared about going outside, also normal. You know, there's all these emotions that you could be having and, and I wanna talk about ways to experience them. Because the thing to do with feelings and with emotions is not to push them away. It's to say, oh, fear, welcome, my dear friend. Come sit right down beside me. Let's feel this together. And so I thought together we might make a list of things that we can do to express our emotions. Would you um, join me, adults, kids, everybody, would you join me in writing some ideas of what you do with things that you feel? How do you express yourself? I'm curious, what do you do to express your emotions? Talk to a good friend, write, ooh, make music, share with others, journaling. Oh yes, journaling. Withdrawal, sure. The first step is to recognize the feelings, yes. And that can be hard sometimes. Run, ooh yeah. Phone a friend, play the piano, take a walk. Sometimes I just sit with them. Other times I talk to friends, take a walk and think about it. Dance, clean, paint, therapy, go hiking, go off on a lake, soak in nature, garden, practice yoga, scream and yell and then laugh. Sure, sing and dance garden, draw, walk outside, help someone else, cook, play with my cats. Oh, that's a good one. Talk with a trusted friend, eat, dance, talk to my dog, ask Alexa for a joke. Nice. Don't let them build up. Oh, yes. And so, you know, part of it is do lots of different things. Find something that works for you. And something that worked yesterday might not be exactly the ticket today, but it's important to keep trying lots of different things. And I want you to know that kids, that adults are feeling this too. This is not easy. In fact, the closest thing that we have to compare this to happened 100 years ago. You know, you hear the adults comparing this to uh, the 1918 flu epidemic. Well, that was 100 years ago, plus. And we're trying to, and I want you to know that. You know, a lot of people are just taking time to explore and to try to journal, to help someone else, to don't watch the president, to cry, to protect against negative thoughts, to do something that feels worthy, to meditate, all these different things. And it might take a lot of these all in one day. I recently um, took a workshop online um, because I, know, I knew that I needed to express my emotions. And so the women that I learned from, um, they were Buddhist nuns. And their teacher, because teachers are so important, right? Their teacher um, is a really kindly old Vietnamese guy, and his name is Thich Nhat Hanh. And Thich Nhat Hanh got nominated for the Nobel Peace Prize by Martin Luther King. Do you need to know anything more? 
And, and one of the songs that the nuns taught me, I want to give to you. Um, music can do so many things, but especially short songs like this sometimes can um, echo in the back of our heads for a while and bring peace. And so I offer this to you as something that might work. And I'm hopeful we'll bring you some, some giggles as, um, as I try to um, do the sign language along with it. Um, the nun said that it was really important to try to involve your whole body if you can. So I'm about to um, post the words in the chat and then um, the choir, the assembled choir at Plum Village, which is Thich Nhat Hanh, one of Thich Nhat Hanh's um, sites. They're going to sing it and I'm going to do the American Sign Language version. And, um, you know, it's a simple song. So if you would like, do the signs with me. I invite you to. So I'll post that video um, as well. And I hope that that is something that is helpful to you. I um, also know that there's a couple really fun kids songs on plumvillage.org if that um, ends up being something that is fun for you. So take good care all. Wonderful, thank you. Thank you so much, Austin. Uh, we have a reading. And the reading is Five Practices for Nurturing Happiness. And the reading is by Vietnamese Buddhist monk Thich Nhat Hanh. It's almost as if Austin and Laura kind of planned that. Perfect, lovely. <laughs> so here is the reading, this wonderful reading after that wonderful video. 
We all want to be happy. And there are many books and teachers in the world that try to help people be happier. Yet we all continue to suffer. Therefore, we may think that we're doing it wrong. Somehow we're failing at happiness. That isn't true. Being able to enjoy happiness doesn't require that we have zero suffering. In fact, the art of happiness is also the art of suffering well. When we learn to acknowledge, embrace, and understand our suffering, we suffer much less. Not only that, but we're also able to go further and transform our suffering into understanding, compassion, and joy for ourselves and for others. One of the most difficult things for us to accept is that there is no realm where there's only happiness and there's no suffering. This doesn't mean that we should despair. Suffering can be transformed. Thank you so much, Paulette. That was On Golden Pond by the white American composer, Dave Grusin. 
And today we begin our time of meditation, reflection, and prayer with these words from the Reverend Lisa Friedman, a white UU minister. Spirit of life and love, we live in a fragmented world that tempts us to despair. We would put it back together piece by piece if it were ours to choose. But sometimes the fragments are enough. In a world of meanness, there is still power in every act of kindness. In a time of doubt, there is still power in every act of hope. In an age of division, there is still power in every act of unity. May we remember that sometimes the fragments of meaning we make are just the right size to hold in our hands. And so today we lift up all the joys and all the sorrows that move in our lives and in the life of this world. In these challenging times, we hold all those who are sick or grieving or in need in any way. We continue to hold our leaders, our scientists, our healthcare professionals, and ask that they be supported and strengthened in caring for the public good, the common good. We hold our teachers and our students and all the families. We hold everyone who is working for positive change, both here and all around the world. And very close to home in our own beloved WU community, we have a joy to share today. Courage Craig has achieved the rank of Eagle Scout. You might remember Courage's Eagle Scout project was rebuilding the walking paths around the W Memorial Garden. So Courage, well done, thank you, and congratulations. So I ask each of you, who are you holding in your heart today? If you're on Zoom, this is the time when I invite you to type the names of your loved ones into the chat so that we can hold them in love and care. So many loved ones that we hold in our hearts. And as we hold all these loved ones and all these cares and joys, I invite you to add your own silent prayers and meditations. Amen. May it be so, and blessed be.
Our centering hymn today comes from the Taze monastic community in France. You might know of the Taze community. Their practice is to sing a simple phrase over and over, like a mantra. It's a way of meditating through singing. Today, the chant is in Latin. I'll paste it in the chat and it goes like, let me paste it first and then I'll say it. Here we go. The text that we'll sing is Ubi Caritas et Amor Deus Ibi Est. Ubi Caritas et Amor Deus Ibi Est. Where there is charity and love, God is there. Every week this summer, members of WUU are offering a series of From the Heart Reflections on Racial Justice. And this week, we're going to hear from Katrina Landon. Thank you, Katrina. Good morning, everyone. 28 years ago, I was offered my first full-time position as a secondary social studies teacher in Roanoke, Virginia. The school William Fleming High School sat across the street from one of several housing projects in the Star City and was surrounded by a high chain link fence. Later that week, I attended a family reunion of my ex-husband's kin, all of whom grew up in the Roanoke Valley. When I shared my good news, they all pretty much went silent. One broke the silence and said, that's the school where the crack dealers sell drugs through that fence. And do you know how many people get killed in that project every year? Try as I might, I started out the school year believing I was not infected with racist views about my primarily African-American students. But I was soon to learn a lesson as to how easy it is for a white teacher to stereotype black students. When I started to teach, the hip hop movement was in full swing. Large baggy clothes and sagging pants were the norm for many of my kids. But in my mind, this was the look of the crack culture. One day in the middle of class, a police officer and an assistant principal appeared at my classroom door. I had a number of students in my mind who I believe they were there to see but the one student I would never have suspected, I would ever have ever suspected of criminal activity was motioned to the door and immediately handcuffed. Why did I not suspect him of criminal activity? It was because every day he came to school dressed very conservatively in khaki pants, Izod polo shirts and loafers. In other words, he dressed in a way so as not to draw the attention of white teachers. Basically, 
he was dressed like a conservative white male. I never thought of him as possibly being a drug dealer. Turns out he was one of the biggest crack dealers in the city. Only after he was locked up did a student finally spill the beans. After that, I realized that I had been guilty of allowing media images of dangerous young black males influence how I judged teens um, based upon the clothes they wore. From that day on, I never let that happen again. But still, over the years, I have come to terms with the fact that my white privilege has shielded me from so many of the day-to-day -day injustices my black and brown students have to bear, such as having white teachers who extend a different set of rules to black and brown students than they do to white students, or who send them for disciplinary action because they didn't bring a pencil, or who won't tolerate discussions that challenge the teacher's viewpoint about, a, a story, about an historical piece of information. Teaching for racial justice requires those of us out in the trenches to learn how to be comfortable with being uncomfortable. It requires those of us who are white to be willing to admit our students, to admit to our students uh, when we have been wrong in our assessment of their behavior because we judge them based on our own white cultural privilege. It requires that we work out our differences without banishing them to the pipeline to the principal's office, which invariably blows up the situation into a bad mark on the student's discipline record. No, racial justice in the classroom means learning how to listen, question your own cultural bias, and above all, letting our black and brown kids know their lives matter. Thank you. Thank you, Katrina. Thank you so much. Each Sunday, we make an offering from the bounty we are blessed to enjoy. We do so in a spirit of generosity and in recognition of our ongoing commitment to serve our world and share our values. If you are joining us for the first time, please feel free to give if you wish, but please, please know that your presence is gift enough. Now, today's offering goes to our general operating fund, which supports really everything we do. And your support is deeply, deeply appreciated. If you'd like to go through our website, please visit wuu.org and click on Give Online to WUU. That's wuu.org and click on Give Online to WUU. That information, by the way, is in the chat box as well. If you'd like to give by text, please text the dollar amount of your gift to 757-500-0700. That's 757 area code, 500-0688. And that information is also in the chat box. Once you, if you choose the text option, you can follow the prompts after you uh, type in the number. Or if you prefer to give by check, please mail your check to WUU 3051 Ironbound Road, Williamsburg, Virginia 23185. And again, all of that information is in the chat box. Thank you so very much for your support. Now for our offertory music, we have a very, very special treat. Our WUU choir singing our beloved hymn, Blue Boat Home. And as we know, this melody is an old Welsh tune uh, by the 19th century composer, Roland Pritchard. And by the way, I didn't know that until just now, so I shouldn't presume that everyone knows. I just learned that. <laughs> so, but this is the 19th century composer, Roland Pritchard, and this is updated and with words by the white American singer-songwriter, Peter Mayer. Let's hear from our lovely choir. Oh 
Oh my gosh, choir. So grateful. It is so good to hear you singing again. I think of, of, of every human activity on earth, singing is just the hardest, hardest to do in these pandemic times to sing in a group. I'm so grateful that you've made it work. I know it's not ideal, but I'm so grateful. I hope that you will, choir members who are here today on Zoom, take a look at the chat. You are getting so much appreciation and love. So thank you, thank you, thank you. So I want to share with you our second reading today, which comes to us from Audre Lorde, the Black American lesbian writer and activist. She has this to say about pain and social change. The only kind of pain that is intolerable is pain that is wasteful, pain from which we do not learn. If we feel deeply and we encourage ourselves and others to feel deeply, we will find the germ of our answers to bring about change. Because once we recognize what it is we are feeling, once we recognize we can feel deeply, love deeply, can feel joy, then we will demand that all parts of our life produce that kind of joy. And when they do not, we will ask, why don't they? And it is the asking that will lead us inevitably toward change. So hi again. I've missed everybody, I've missed you all. It was great to be on vacation for a couple of weeks and I'm about to head into some study leave away to plan for next year, but I'm happy that I have this one Sunday to check in with you all. You've really been on my heart. And it's been nerve wracking, hasn't it? Seeing the COVID numbers go up in our area once again. A lot of us have been wrestling with some tough decisions this summer. What's safe to do? What's too risky? You know, some of us are asking, do we dare go see our families? Is it okay to hug the grandkids if we make it quick? I gotta say, I got to hug my mother-in-law for the first time in four months uh, a couple days ago. It was pretty nice. And then there's all the work-related questions. Maybe we've lost jobs or haven't been able to work. And it's hard to see a way forward from here. Some of us are, are asking, if we can't work, how can we afford to live? And if we can go back to work, is it safe? And if it's not safe, what do we do? Do we go anyway and hope for the best? I hate that we are having to make these impossible decisions. I hate that our government has failed us so profoundly that we are left in this position. And then there's the schools and the colleges. To our teachers and our college professors, I know that you did not sign up for this. 
some of you being asked to go back to work situations that you believe are unsafe for yourself and your students. Even though I know that you want to be there with and for these kids. Sometimes it just feels impossible. And even though I cannot fix this for you, your congregation cannot fix this for you, I want you to know that we see you and we love you. And parents and guardians and kids, it's just so hard. This is the time when families with kids are having to decide right now whether to commit to online only school in some districts for the whole year. And I wonder how you all are doing with this. Though I'm not a parent myself, I watch my sister's family trying to figure it out. They live in Miami, so school is going to be online for the time being. My sister works at home for the moment. My brother-in-law is back to work at his hospital admin job. My niece is 16, and she's okay with online school. She's a good sport, even though she misses her friends. She's, she's got this, pretty much. My nephew is just seven. <clears throat> and, and, you know, it's just hard. He's lonely. And they'll make it work because they have to. But, you know, online school for a sociable seven-year-old is just not ideal. And because my sister is the one working at home, she's the one who is also going to have to take care of the kids and supervise the online school stuff while she's trying to do her full-time job. I know that many of you are dealing with just these same kinds of dilemmas. Work expects you, if you have the luxury of working at home, to be fully present online. At the same time, your kids need you. And how is this supposed to work? I know that the parents and guardians here are used to making it work. You do what you need to do. You might say the impossible will take a little longer. And maybe that is true in normal times. But in COVID times, let's just say, let's just admit it is literally not possible to be the primary caregiver for young kids while at the same time working full time at a job that demands your continuous focus and attention. It is literally impossible to do that, but somehow that is the expectation that has been placed on too many of you especially on working mothers who a new study shows have reduced their working hours four to five times more than working fathers since the COVID crisis began. Working mothers have reduced their hours four to five times more than working fathers. You might have seen an article in the New York Times recently by Deb Perelman. She had this to say. She says, I resent articles that view the struggle of working parents this year as an emotional concern. We are not burned out because life is hard this year. We are burned out because we are being rolled over by the wheels of an economy that has bafflingly declared working parents inessential. That comes from her article titled, In the COVID-19 Economy, You Can Have a Kid or a Job, You Can't Have Both. So let's be clear, COVID has made the situation worse, a lot worse. But our country has not done a great job of supporting working families for a long time now. Multiple studies from pre-COVID times have shown that parents in the US, on average, are less happy than non-parents. But as the New York Times reported in 2016, that is actually not true anywhere in the industrialized world except in the United States. A study from 2016 concluded that the parent happiness gap in the US can be explained entirely by differences in social policies affecting families. In particular, the cost of childcare and the amount of paid vacation and sick leave. In countries like Norway, Sweden, Finland, with subsidies for childcare and generous time off policies, parents are just as happy as non-parents or even happier. Here in the United States, it is is it any surprise that parents were already stressed out and maxed out even before COVID? And now it is just impossible. 
So where do we go from here? In this moment, activist writer Audre Lorde calls us to use the pain of this moment to lead us toward change. And again, she says the only kind of pain that is intolerable is pain from which we do not learn. If we feel deeply and we encourage ourselves and others to feel deeply, we will find the germ of our answers to bring about change. So let's sit with that for a bit. Would it be okay to really let ourselves feel the pain of this moment? I was really inspired by what Austin shared today, and I too have been learning from the community and writings of Thich Nhat Hanh. I wanna offer a practice that I learned from his work. Um, he says, when you're feeling sad or angry or afraid, you could imagine yourself picking up that emotion, literally scooping it up and holding it in your arms as you would a little child. Hold that emotion and rock it as you would a little baby. Hold it close to your heart and say to it, dear sadness, dear anger, dear fear, I love you. I'm here for you. And ask it, what do you want me to know? What do you need? How can I ease your suffering? And then listen. Some of what you hear from those emotions might be very personal, very simple. Call a friend, have some ice cream, go for a walk. And some of what you hear from that sadness or anger or fear so close to your heart may lead you outward toward action for the world. Especially now when we seek so clearly that things could have been different, our government could have responded so differently to this crisis. Even now, things could still be different. We could still decide to step up as a country collectively. We could get this thing under control. You know we could with more masks, more testing, all the steps we know would make a difference so that we as individuals are not forced into impossible dilemmas every single day so that we don't have to wonder if it's safe to go to the doctor so that we could go to a movie or a concert again so that my gosh, so that we could come back to church. I miss you. We could hug our relatives and our friends without fear. Teachers would not have to put their lives at risk to do their jobs. Lonely kids would not be separated from their friends. And parents and guardians would not have to try to do the literally impossible day after day with so little support. It will not always be like this. It will get better and our actions will make it better sooner. Right now, I think the single most important thing we can do is vote. If you are of voting age, you know this, vote in November. Never in my life and maybe in yours have our votes mattered so much. You know this, choose the candidates you believe will do their best to serve the common good the common good. And in the meantime, do what you can where you are. If you can help a neighbor or a family member in trouble, do that. I know you are. If you're in a position of authority at work and you can make life even just a little less impossible for working families, do that. And if you know someone who's going through financial hardship, let us know, let us know. We might be able to help thanks to the generosity of, your, of this congregation. We might be able to help. When any one of us gets so boxed in that it's impossible to keep going as we are, it is on all of us to help. It is on the whole community to change, to make different choices so that we can breathe and survive and find joy again. 
if we work together and dream together and love together, what seems impossible now may still take a little longer, but it is coming and it is possible and we will make it so. Amen and blessed be. And now I invite you to sing along with our closing hymn. This is For All That Is Our Life, words by the white British Unitarian Bruce Finlow, music by the white Californian composer Patrick Ricky, and I'll paste the lyrics in the chat. Thanks and praise for all thy gifts and gifts which we are called to use to build a common good and make our own days glad for these which others serve for services we give. Thank you, Reverend Laura. Thank you. Uh, thank you, Reverend Laura. Thank you, Paulette. Thank you so much. Now, let us say the words to extinguish the chalice, and we invite you to blow out your candle at the same time. Uh, we will paste the words in the Zoom chat. Again, we'll say them in unison or as close to unison as we can get. This is a lovely, fun time to try to get this in sync, but we'll do what we can. All right. Words are there in our <laughs> And I invite you now to hold out your hands in witness to all that connects us. And once again, hear these words of Lisa Friedman. In a world of meanness, there is still power in every act of kindness. In a time of doubt, there is still power in every act of hope. In an age of division, there is still power in every act of unity. So in this moment, let us bring our kindness, bring our hope, bring our unity. Together, we are strong. Together, we reach out to serve. So may it be. Go in peace. Blessed be and amen.